Baseball buffet has started. Step up to the plate and get in the buffet line. Take me out to the ball game. Take me out with the crowd. Buy me some peanuts and crackers, Jack. I don't care if I never get back. Let me root, root, root for the home team. If they don't win, it's a shame. For it's one, two, three strikes. You're out at the old ball game. Welcome to Baseball Buffet, our monthly roundtable focusing on recent baseball events. We'll work our conversation in and around our luncheon at the Zoom Cafe, our online meeting space where we shelter in place. Today we look at free agent signings that are still stuck in our collective crawls. Next we'll examine what's likely to happen in this uncertain offseason. After a quick break, we'll ask a big question. Given all its problems, what are baseball's enduring virtues? We'll end our day's Zoom dining with our last bites. Our buffet of baseball commentators include... Andy Jeffione. Award-winning photographer and former image master of the Chicago Cubs. Tom Henninger. Editor at Baseball Digest and author of Tony Oliva, The Life and Times of a Minnesota Twins Legend. Chuck Hildebrandt. Award-winning baseball researcher and chair emeritus of Sabres Baseball and the Media Research Committee. Stuart Shea. Author of Wrigley Field, The Long Life and Contentious Times of the Friendly Confines. I'm your host, Jim Walker, author of Crack of the Bat, A History of Baseball on the Radio. As we dive headfirst into the free agent signing season, let's look back at some unforgettable moments. I want each of you to tell me what was the worst free agent signing for your favorite team. We'll start with Tom, and I know that's the Minnesota Twins. Well, the Twins have rarely been burned by off-season free agency, mainly because they just don't throw dollars around over the winter months. But after losing 96 games for three straight seasons in 2011, 12, and 13, the Twins made a rare dive into an always thin uh, crop of starting pitching and signed 31-year-old Ricky Nolasco to a four-year 40 <laughs> That came after he had one of his two good seasons. <laughs> Well, what did he do? He posted a 5.44 ERA over 56 starts in two-plus seasons before the Twins managed to unload him for Hector Santiago, who posted an even higher ERA over his two seasons in Minnesota. All right. Well, that's a good start. That's a good start to our our, uh, wall of pain here. Uh, Stu? Well, a couple of decades ago, when a million dollars meant something, the Cubs committed $23 million over four years to catcher Todd Hundley, oh. who had enjoyed several strong seasons with the Mets and Dodgers. Yeah. Unfortunately, Hundley had used and abused steroids, and with his body set by natural and artificial overdevelopment, he was terrible in Chicago. After two years, the Cubs somehow were able to unload his carcass to Los Angeles and to get <laughs> Eric Karros and Mark Grudzelanek in the process. Hundley played just 21 games for the Dodgers before being forced to retire due to catastrophic nagging injuries. Oh. <laughs> catastrophic. I like that. Yeah, Todd Hundley was actually my fantasy camp coach uh, in Arizona oh, right. this year. I don't think we'll be able to pick a winner from this, from this collection. Uh, Chuck? Yeah. Well, as a Tigers fan, this is an easy one for me because it happened so recently. It's the Jordan Zimmerman fiasco. <laughs> <laughs> He had a pretty good career in Washington. He was coming off a decent enough season. He was expected to step into the number two role behind Justin Verlander. So the Tigers signed him for five years and $110 million. They thought he was going to be a strong cog in the playoff machine for the next several years. And he looked great for exactly one month. And then the roof caved in on him. He went on the DL, 
uh, twice his first year, and he ended up with a 487 ERA, which was good. He beat the injury bug in year two, but he was simply terrible, 608 ERA. He uh, continued battling injuries, and he sunk to a record of 1-13 with an almost 7 oh, ERA in 2019. Remember that? I do. He, he was injured almost all of 2020, and he tossed just five and two-thirds innings to mercifully end the ignominy that was his time in Detroit. But even with all the injuries, I'm not sure that bad pitcher coaching didn't also play a part in his terrible record. So I guess we'll find out when he lands on another team, which he's going to do, and uh, we see whether they can fix what ails him. Andy? Even more aggravating than the signing of Mike Jackson in 2000 had to be the signing of Danny Tartable in 1997. (sighs) The Phillies offered Tartable a one-year, $2 million contract plus $300,000 in incentives. He was offended by the deal and declined, thinking he would wait it out for a better deal. That better deal never arrived. The only other team that even made him sort of a courtesy offer was the Reds for $500,000. When he realized that no one would pay him what he wanted, he pretty much told the Phillies, you know what, I was just sort of joking. I'd love to play for you guys. Uh, They signed him with the original offer. Tartable fractured his foot on opening day. Mm. A few games later, he would be out for the entire season. Wow. For the Phillies' $2 million investment, they got three games, seven at-bats, four walks, two runs scored, and zero hits. Good old Danny. And, and to Stu's point, that's when $2 million was real money. Was was real money. Yeah. The Phillies finished that season 68-94, and 94, the same as the last-place Cubs in the National League. Tartable <laughs> retired after the season at age 34. Well, should we jump back to the future, or are we really just kind of crawling on hands and knees back into the future, uh, <laughs> t- taking a look at what's going to happen in this offseason? Right. Chuck, I'm going to throw this one at you. What do you think uh, will be the most surprising signing or trade of the offseason, the one that no one is expecting at this point? Do you have any guesses? Well, you know, this is always a fun question because, by definition, a surprise is something you can't anticipate. So, really, the sky's the limit on this, right? So, uh, I'm going to quickly throw out three surprise moves we can absolutely, definitely expect to see. Okay, okay, good. Let's write them down. Well done. (laughs) So, JT Realmuto is going to sign with Detroit, which no one is expecting. But it makes sense because Detroit has, without no doubt, the best pitching prospects due to come up next year. They have uh, Casey Mize, Matt Manning, and Tarek Skubal, and maybe even Alex Fido. And uh, they could use a great catcher to guide them. And because they hired A.J. Hinch, the Tigers should be expected to compete right now or else. So that's one. Uh, The second one is Trevor Bauer is going to sign a one-year $40 million contract with the Colorado Rockies just to prove he can harness a physical. (laughs) Right. Well done. And the last one is the Red Sox are going to trade J.D. Martinez back to his original team, the Houston Astros, for a bag of used baseballs and broken bats, they can sell them to stop. Plus, they will eat 97% of his remaining salary because Red Sox Chief Baseball Officer Heim Bloom learned at Yale that pecunia amissa is Latin for sunk costs. <laughs> and, and all well those done. things are going to happen precisely because there are surprises and no one will expect them. I like it. Well done. Well, I could go with one. I'm not sure about two and three. But... Uh, I like the insanity of it. That's the whole point of surprises. Who could have Absolutely. Seen when you anticipate a surprise, that's what you get. That's right. Andy, let's flip the question. Uh, who does everybody expect to be traded but won't be? There was a time when it seemed inevitable that Chris Bryant would be traded. 
sooner than later. Mm-hmm. But given the financial restraints of teams right now and Bryant's less than stellar recent performance, it seems less likely that he'll be traded before opening day. Yes, the Cubs want to reduce payroll, but giving up on a player who has meant so much to the franchise will take some creative trade packaging with some substantial return. The team is dealing with adjustments in the front office and Len Casper's exodus for the south side, and Cubs fans can only take so much. Keeping the Cubs fans happy will be a priority in 2021. The team is better off hanging on to Bryant to see if he can regain some of his former self long enough to shop him around over the summer, when possibly the concession registers will be ringing again. And it looks like something similar could happen in Colorado with Nolan Arenado. They're going to keep uh, Bryant, I think. Judd Hoyer said as much uh, the other day. But you never know. You know they're liquidating their assets. Right. Right, right. Well, they're going to commit to one of those guys. Do you think it's going to be Baez or Rizzo? Rizzo. Yeah, I think so, too. I think it's Rizzo. He's the franchise. The face of the franchise. The face of the franchise, yeah. Stu, who's going to be most aggressive in the offseason? Everybody says the Mets, I guess. But anybody else? And why this offseason for that particular team? I think the Angels can win the AL West in 2021. It's an extremely unimpressive division without any clear winner. Uh, Mike Trout and Anthony Rendon are not enough, though. And uh, the Angels' new GM, Perry Manassian, knows that. Um, so he added two Iglesias's, uh, Closer mm-hmm. Rizel mm-hmm. and shortstop mm-hmm. right. Jose. And the, the both of those... churches. I like that. <laughs> Imagine the, the, the marketing promotions, two Iglesias. Yes, two Iglesias's. Well, those moves are both consistent with the desire to win now. They're prime players. They cost a little bit of money. And they were worth some good prospects. This is the last year of Albert Pujols' Albatross contract. A lot depends on the health of Shohei Otani. But even with him healthy, the Angels need a starting pitcher or two, an infield bat, and a left-handed hitting outfielder. So I think that they're the ones who are going to make some noise here. As far as hitting the brakes, I think San Francisco. The Giants were a surprise contender last year, but I don't think anybody believes they're on the level of the Dodgers or the Padres just yet. I find it highly unlikely that the Giants and their GM, Farhan Zaidi, are going to accelerate their rebuild. Don't you think you're just going to be sort of picking low-hanging fruit as they have been for a few years and hope to strike gold a couple more times? Yeah, they may well trade some of that low-hanging fruit. People like Yastrzemski would be a great trade ship, especially if they know they're not going anywhere at some point to see. They can cash in men for something you know really promising. Is it possible he's their player of the future, like the guy they want you know to market for the next 10 years? I mean, he's Yaz's grandson. Yeah, but he's like 28. He's not a kid. I guess that's uh, true. Yeah, he's pretty he's, old. Yeah. Yeah. What a breakout he had at 27 or 28. Yeah. No, he's yeah. been he's like been out of nowhere. It's amazing. Like one of the yeah, best he's been wonderful to watch. Fry Anxiety was brought in to remake the franchise. Yeah. And the best way you do that is by restocking the farm system. Well, it's so right. tough being in a division with a super team like the Dodgers that really has everything going for it. And so it's not even a normal rebuild. And then you have San Diego that seems to right. be on the verge up. of something great as well. So you really mm-hmm. have two difficult uh, teams to overcome. By the way, Yaz is 30. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's yeah. what I was thinking. You know, when you said really the 28, I thought, I think he's actually day. older than that. Yeah, Yeah. right. Wow. He's 30. Your point about being in a division with a super team definitely plays into this. I think the teams that we're all thinking are going to be the most active this winter are probably the Angels, the Tigers, the Blue Jays, the Mets, mm. all of whom are in divisions with different levels of opportunity. 
Blue Jays, I think they really believe they can win, and I think a lot of people believe they can win. The Tigers have been really quiet during the virtual winter meetings. I'm not sure that bodes well for the rest of the offseason if they want to contend or make any moves. Because if they want to win some games, they're going to have to make moves. They can't, they can't win games with who they have on the oh, yeah. roster right now. Well, one thing everybody's asking about is, are any of the rule changes that we saw in the short season going to continue on to the 2021, uh, the DH being the one that is on a lot of people's minds because it affects so many free agents? Tom, what do you think? Well, I can't get excited about any of the new rules, but the one I would accept permanently in 2021 is the universal DH that you mentioned. <laughs> it's in Pitchers hitting suck. But there's a guy like the H. Nelson Cruz, who's a free agent, but remains not committal because he doesn't know if he has 15 or 30 potential suitors. So mm-hmm. forcing a pitcher to face three batters, it's a fundamental change to the game that hinders a manager's ability to make the best decision for his team at any point in the game. You know, the notion that it would shorten a game is just plain silly, and it proved to be a failure. The mm-hmm. average time was three hours and five minutes. And right. 19, and it, you know, sometime around the mid-break of this season – two minutes longer and i yeah. don't know what the final numbers are but you know, the rule didn't do what it was supposedly it was going to do putting a man on second base during extra innings becomes as obscure as the memory of watching hair dye dribble down rudy giuliani's face <laughs> <laughs> well played <laughs> not only does the rule mess with the game statistics which explain and account for everything that happens in a game it's given us such silliness as a leadoff, two-run homer, and pitchers losing games despite not allowing a base runner. I don't really mind that rule. I don't want them to do it in the 10th inning. Maybe they can start it in the 11th, possibly the 12th. Uh, have you ever sat through a 17-inning game? Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's charmless. I it love really it. It really is. I love it. Well, yeah. I have no okay, well, problem sitting through it. innings. <laughs> I've, I no. mean, Andy, you and I have worked marathons. Long games, yeah. Uh, I didn't mind it at all. Dalai Lama is stuck in an airport. His thing is, oh, good, more time That's to meditate. That's an opportunity, right? Yeah. It's an opportunity. <laughs> opportunity to meditate. That's the way I feel about extra inning games. It's an opportunity to enjoy that baseball is infinite. The thing I was pleasantly surprised about that rule was everybody thought that every team, every time, would do the same thing. Bunt the runner over <laughs> to third and then try to get him home somehow. But, but it didn't really work out that way. I mean, different teams approached the whole problem in in different ways, and I thought it was interesting. Now that we've covered both past and future, it's time to be in the moment. We will take our Zen break. Be in the moment. Just a quick reminder that Baseball Buffet is available on most top podcast providers, including Apple iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, SoundCloud, and many more. Amazon Echo users can access our podcast lickety-split. Just say, Alexa, play Baseball Buffet on iTunes. The pandemic problems, the looming negotiations for a new labor contract, the slow pace of the game, the declining interest in baseball among the young... There's never a shortage of problems confronting the national pastime. But let's look on the bright side for a bit. Given the constant refrain throughout the history of baseball, 
that the game's best days are in the past and it's in decline, what are actually the strengths of baseball? What are the enduring virtues that have allowed it to rebound from each of its past challenges? First, we'll ask our special guest, Pollyanna. Oh, wait, uh, she's too depressed to get out of bed, so we'll go with Stu. You're sort of Pollyanna, right? Yeah. (laughs) Well, unlike football or esports or the NBA, baseball endures because it isn't like the pace of American life. We're accessible, accountable, and online pretty much at every moment. And baseball is the only major sport that doesn't have a clock. It feels like a day away from the office. It feels like an indulgence, and that's why we need it. Baseball is is huge and grand and open. Each season unfolds thousands of individual stories that run into one. And it seems like enough of us like this utterly simple yet maddeningly complex game to keep it around. Beautiful. Tom, why does baseball endure? Well, if you grew up playing the game or, you know, attending games with your family in the summertime, it's it's easy to gain an appreciation for its beauty, and the love for that game may endure despite scandals and changes. It has survived. I worry about it in the long-term future. Attendance has been down. We've heard these scare tactics before. It does concern me that the game becomes more dependent on the TV money, and I just worry whether there will be a day when there aren't enough people watching to justify the network contracts that they've seen. So. Do we have a young generation that still has that appreciation, that's gained that love of the game as youth? We don't see the game being played on playgrounds. We don't see young fans coming to the game. But for us who have grown up with the game, that love endures. Chuck? Uh, I think one of the key enduring virtues of baseball is how it connects generations of families. If you're a baseball fan, chances are overwhelmingly high that you received your fandom from your dad, who received it from his dad and who got it from his dad. Actually, I got my fandom from my mom, but you get my point. But, you know, we're in this terrible era now, not unlike the 1860s and 50s, where politics are alienating entire families from one another. You may not get someone in your family to agree with you on your point of view of things, but if you have a parent or aunt or uncle or a sibling who you share a love of baseball with, that's something that can continue to bind you together. So instead of talking about politics this holiday season, maybe talk about baseball. And who knows? Maybe it'll stop them from assassinating you over the Christmas <laughs> ham because you disagree on trade policy. <laughs> so. that's, that's well done. I, I think with yeah. trade policy, it'd be more like going to sleep. But, you know, it's... <laughs> <laughs> but, it's yeah, funny. okay, Andy, like what's that. your take on the virtues? You know, I'm not going to be able to hold a candle to those descriptions. Those are beautiful. For me, the ability to play the game without any specialized equipment or venue... You can make a ball out of tape and play with a stick. It's a basic and simple game that can be complex and layered. The long, varied history, both good and bad, are, in a lot of ways, a reflection of society. People from different parts of the world, with a variety of different body types, coming together to hit a ball, field a ball, and go home. Simple. I love that. Me too. I always thought that Baseball is enduring right now, and this may change, but it still does take the heart of the summer. I know it's being eaten away on both ends Mm -hmm. in terms of championships and so forth, but it's still the summer game, and it's still part Mm -hmm. of a seasonal connection in the Mm -hmm. American mind. I always thought the greatest threat to baseball was the old USFL, which decided initially to play professional football in the summer, which I thought was yep. really actually right. a very serious threat right. to Major League And then League Trump baseball. got involved, and that was the end of that. 
That's right. And then he helped kill <laughs> off the USFL. They decided they'd go he's, you know, and litigate. He's the Isaiah of, Thomas of the USFL. <laughs> <laughs> and litigate rather than actually continue and improve their product, and they died away. So I do think as long as baseball owns the summer, and it still does, it's, it's definitely got something going for it. Finally, we take our last bites. Each of our baseball buffs will offer one last delicious morsel. Tom, what's your last bite? Well, baseball has lost a host of Hall of Famers in 2020, and those of us who are baby boomers and grew up with the game in the 50s and 60s have seen plenty of other players from our youth also pass on. One death that hit me more personally was that of one of the more interesting and enjoyable people I interviewed for the Tony Oliva bio, Julio Becaire. He arrived from Cuba at age 19, and like Oliva and other Cubans signed by the Washington, Minnesota franchise, faced the obstacles of learning a new culture while trying to find his place in the extremely competitive world of Major League Baseball. He was one of the American League's most productive pinch hitters in the late 50s and enjoyed living in D.C., spending time at the Cuba Club near Griffith Stadium, where he saw Duke Ellington, Count Basie, and many of the jazz greats of the era. In early 1961, with Cuban-U.S. relations deteriorating rapidly, he and his fellow Cubans were forced to make a life-changing decision whether to make Cuba their permanent home or stay in the U.S. to play baseball. He never again saw his father, who passed away before returning to the island was a possibility, and he never again returned to his homeland. He was a delightful storyteller with an infectious laugh, and he told me a wonderful story of facing Camilo Pasquale, a friend and teammate in his first pro season in 1951, but an opponent in the Cuban Winter League later in the decade. Their teams were locked in a scoreless tie in the 11th inning when Julio stepped up to the plate. He said hitting Camilo's devastating curveball was like trying to hit a butterfly. Camilo threw him a changeup, and Julio hit it out of the park for the win. I hit a mistake, Julio exclaimed with a smile, followed by his engaging laugh. A laugh and a man I'll always remember fondly. Lovely. Wow, that's that's so heartbreaking to hear what a lot of these guys had to endure. Mm-hmm. Andy, what's your last bite? Well, about a month after the Los Angeles Dodgers won the World Series in Arlington, Texas, the Korean Baseball Organization, which began playing back in early May, wrapped up their season in a best-of-seven championship series between the NC Dinos and the Doosan Bears. The Dinos clinched their first Korean Series title with a 4-2 Game 6 win over the Doosan Bears. Of course, there was a trophy presentation, and it was unlike anything I'd ever seen before. As the champion Dinos gathered around the mound to celebrate, what appeared to be a covered trophy was unveiled, revealing a giant sword in a lucite stand ready to be removed dramatically, which series MVP Yang Iyuji did emphatically by hoisting it up to the sky with his teammates celebrating around him. It should be noted the sword isn't the official Korean series trophy. The dinos are owned and named after the video game developer NC Soft Corporation. Wow. The team's ownership decided to have the sword made as a tribute to their most successful game series, Lineage. Naturally, the internet was abuzz about this on-field presentation, and one commenter nailed it by saying, Mookie Betts hoisting a sword would have absolutely been the cherry on the top of the 2020 MLB season. Nice. Nice. Awesome. Nice. Stu? Eddie Robinson turns 100 years old on December 15th. He is the oldest former Major League player and one of the oldest players ever to enjoy a really long career. A four-time All-Star, 
Robinson batted 268 with 172 homers in a 13-year career that ended in 1957. Amazingly, he played for seven of the eight AL clubs during his 13 years. Robinson was the regular first baseman for the world champion Indians of 1948, the last Cleveland team to win a World Series. That's 72 years ago, kiddies. <laughs> He's the last survivor wow. of that club, which has seven players in the Hall of Fame. Following his playing career, Robinson spent nearly 50 more seasons as a general manager, farm director, and scout before retiring in 2004 at age 84. He also was instrumental in helping secure pensions for old-time players not originally covered by the MLBPA pension agreement. Robinson is a baseball lifer, and what a life he's had. He's worked with Babe Ruth and Bob Feller, George Steinbrenner, and Henry Aaron. He truly is the last of an era. Happy birthday, Mr. Robinson. Chuck, finish it up for us. Okay, I want to pick up on what I was saying in our last segment about the enduring virtues of baseball. With all the nonsense attended to baseball off the field, which are well-known and legion enough that I don't really have to provide any examples, I believe the saving grace of the game is that on the field, it's still a beautiful thing to watch. I love showing up to a game and just watching it. And it doesn't have to be a major league or even professional game. I'll be riding my bike down the street, and I'll see a little league game in progress, or high school or college, or women's or girls softball, and I'll just stop and watch, even if it's only for a couple or three batters. I just love the symmetry of the game. I love the teamwork that's involved. I love how everything happens sequentially. You know, this happens, then this, then this, as opposed to 10 or 22 people just running around or skidding around in seemingly random directions. Baseball is easy to follow, and that's very soothing to me. It's a game that thrives on order and rules. And in a world that seems to be overdosing on disorder and rule-breaking, baseball is a perfect ointment to soothe the psychic owie. I know a lot of people think baseball is boring. They're not completely wrong. Sometimes it is. But a baseball fan knows what to look for in a game. They can find interesting things happening on the field to contemplate, even when everybody seems to be just standing around. And I feel lucky that I can see those interesting things in the game. And if you're a baseball fan, I'm sure you know what I mean, because you can see them too. And that's why I think baseball endures. Oh, these last bites were so yummy for the tummy. However, for now, Baseball Buffet must close down. We will revisit it next month when we grab a fresh plate. By then, Pollyanna will be out of her deep depression, and baseball will have solved all of its problems, and we'll have nothing to talk about.